Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Visit audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicky and as always, we're going to look at a classic today and joining me to look at such a classic, it's Sam Peterson and Nicholas J. Johnson. Woo! Yes! Oh, this is exciting. This is the classiest podcast I've ever been on. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here and for wearing that tuxedo for the recording. That I assumed there was a dress code. Uh, yeah, I really feel underdressed now. <laughs> yeah. Sam is uh, just wearing board shorts and nothing else. So <laughs> come on, mate. <laughs> it's always summer in my mind in lockdown. <laughs> well, thank you uh, so much for joining me. We're going to look at a Shakespeare classic today. But before we get to the play, I wanted to check in with you guys. We've, um, we're in lockdown in Melbourne at the moment in our respective premises. So I always ask the guests if they've been... Uh, reading anything lately or writing anything lately as the case is uh with uh, nicholas j johnson you've just put out a new book i have yes it's a kid's book it's uh called tricky nick and it is my life story um i because i'm a professional magician is my day job and so i've taken my life story and put it into a book for children aged 8 to 12 um and it's literally in bookstores now i would imagine uh, I have not been into a bookstore in several months, but <laughs> yeah, if right. books, bookstores are still a thing in this post-apocalyptic world we live in, um, <laughs> you can kick over the remains of uh, the book owner's skeleton and grab a, a copy, wrestle it from the feral dogs that roam your local dimmicks and you'll be able to get a copy of Tricky Nick, my new book. Nick, what if there is someone that's like a really smart seven-year-old or six-year-old wanting to read it? Are they allowed or are they not? It's not non-negotiable. No, my daughter bought it. Uh, I wrote it for my daughter, um, but then realized it was children aged 8 to 12, and she's six, and she's capable of reading at that level, but I didn't feel comfortable, so I just slapped (laughs) it out of her hands the moment she tried to pick it up. It's dedicated to her, but she won't find out for another two years. Firm but fair. Firm but fair. I've always said that mm-hmm. about you. Yeah. I believe in a society of rules. And that... <laughs> That's exciting. How about you, Sam? Have you been uh, writing, reading, or slapping any books out of six-year-olds' hands lately? Uh, mostly that, yes. I run I, Every day I run down the street <laughs> slapping as many books as I can out of six-year-old hands. I thought I'd seen you do that. Yeah. I have not written any books at the moment, but I am reading a lot of David Sedaris. I've just finished my final 
David Sedaris book Calypso, um, which I, spoiler alert, did not write. Um, he would not let me uh, claim ownership of that, but I, I finished that, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna be reading Nick's book pretty soon. Even though I am well outside of the age range, <laughs> I am going to steal it off an eight year old. So just FYI, I have been called the David Sedaris of eight to twelve year olds. So <laughs> you're in for a real treat. That's a quote on your book, but you say it. It's very yeah, good. but I say it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saying it a lot in interviews. It tends to be confusing. <laughs> Dave, do you because you have to read a book every fortnight? That's your thing. Are you yeah. are, are you reading for fun anymore, or has all the joy <laughs> been taken out of it? Well, the reason I started the show was because every New Year's Eve I'd get to the um, you know I'd be like, all right, my next year's resolution, I'm gonna I'm gonna read more, I'm gonna read more. I did that for about five years in a row, and it never really took off. So I thought if I did a podcast where I have to read something every couple of weeks, I have to do it, which I have been doing. But you're right, it has kind of taken away the the joy of reading. I don't like uh, I'm not reading a Shakespeare, but then also on the side got something you know more modern or fun to look into. <laughs> it just takes up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, reading's hard as well. How do you actually? How do you read them? Like, what's your what's your device or um, uh, way of getting books into your brain of choice? Uh, well, okay. So usually I like a hard copy in my hands, especially for novels. Mm-hmm. So I don't read on a Kindle or something. But with Shakespeare, what I like to do is, and often with the plays, I like to listen to audio books of Shakespeare whilst reading along with it because I find it gets it into your brain a lot more. You can understand. Uh, intention from professional actors that have studied it so it, it just seems because otherwise if you're reading along it's easy i find in shakespeare to get a few pages in and you get a bit lost as to exactly what's going on but with the if you're hearing it at the same time as if you're watching a play it, you can just get a lot more feel for it mm. and do you read because when you read normally you would read quite fast but then when you're reading shakespeare and someone's reading along with you you have to slow down so and 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 like absorb the poetry right yeah, totally. Like it's just as, as fast as someone uh, is reading it in the place. So sometimes if they're getting a bit dramatic as as Macbeth and they're really drawing out every single breath, I'll put that bad boy into one and a half times speed and just really get them going. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not in a theatre right now because you just said the, that word you cannot say. God, we're lucky. We're lucky that I'm recording from my kitchen. So <laughs> it's okay. I usually record in a theatre. I'm very happy I did it today. Do you get up and actually act out Macbeth, Dave, when you're reading it? I imagine you do that. Yeah, I'm prancing around the room, around the kitchen as it is. And, uh, yeah, playing slamming. every role. Yeah. I, I don't remember there being a lot of prancing in Macbeth. Like, I don't feel like that's a prance-heavy <laughs> No, play. they cut out a lot of the later prances, I think, in Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I listened to the uh, the Melbourne Ballet Company's version of of Macbeth. and uh, That's very pran- prance-heavy. Prance yeah. around. <laughs> Not a lot of talking. Yeah, yeah that's right. I just watched The Lion King for the first time in a couple of years. That's about as close to, to uh, Shakespeare as I've gotten. Is there, there isn't like a, a, a Disney a King Lear, is there? There isn't a... No, I don't oh. think so. I mean, obviously Macbeth is quite tragic, but uh, I'd say King Lear is even more tragic, even more death, uh, as we will dis- we'll discover. Do you guys know much about the play? I know. I know about... Uh, all I know about it is... Uh, Mr. King Lear, as I call him, um, <laughs> goes goes crazy, goes goes oh, yeah. goes wild throughout the play and gets crazier and crazier as he's deteriorating. I, I that's all I really know about it, and I don't know if that's true. That so, is 
I think the the term batshit was definitely coined to describe this guy. Oh, I thought you were saying my explanation was batshit. Oh, no. I was a bit insulted there. I would have loved, Sam, if you'd gone into, all I know about it is, and then you spent 45 minutes explaining the entire plot to me, and I went, oh, actually, that's about it, yeah. Or just start reading you some David Sedaris. <laughs> King Lear just spends the whole, the whole play just collecting medical equipment and talking about his sister. <laughs> and a lot about his cyst, a sebaceous cyst. Yes. What, I, I did. I did Macbeth in in high school, and I think that was the only that was the only Shakespeare um, that we did. But I also watched Ten Things I Hate About You, which is based on a Shakespearean. Uh, mm-hmm. The twelfth is it? The twelfth night is that what it is? No, uh, it's taming, a taming of the, of the, of the Shrew. Oh, taming of the Shrew. Okay, yeah. So yeah, no, I don't know a lot about Macbeth. Sorry, about, don't know a lot about Shakespeare to answer your question. <laughs> I've seen well, Clueless. That's yep, based that's on good. Emma. Yep, that's another good one. <laughs> Shakespeare wrote Emma, right? Yep. Yeah, as a tribute to his uh, dog, Emma, I think it was. Am I saying that right? <laughs> um, I believe so. So just to give uh, background to King Lear. So it was a tragedy in five acts written by William Shakespeare in about 1605, 1606, and first published a few years later, 1608. And I chose this play because this is the one when the world first went into lockdown. I'm not sure if you saw a lot of posts or a lot of memes circulating that saying Shakespeare wrote King Lear during his lockdown during the plague. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, Nick wrote a book. Yeah. Look, you can look that up. <laughs> Yeah, Bill and didn't it, do that. Bill wrote five acts. It was lazy. He could cut it down. Very. He didn't have a chance to edit. That's how lazy he was. <laughs> but I wanted to look into if that is actually true. So according to the Guardian, if he actually wrote it in lockdown, I mean, because of the plague. Um, according Did to the Bill, G- do an interview for the Guardian. Yeah, that's right. It was a tell- <laughs> publicized King Lear. Tell all. <laughs> so apparently, he had a. Uh, he was as people at the time were brushed. A- had a lot of brushes with the plague as an infant uh he was lucky to survive the disease because stratford upon avon his hometown was ravaged by a huge outbreak uh, outbreak in the summer of 1564 just before he was born and up to, a, up, up to a quarter of his uh t- town's population died so he was lucky to make it out alive at all and then uh, when he was older and writing between 1603 and 1613 mass gatherings were banned as they are in melbourne at the moment um and the Globe Theatre, where he worked and other London playhouses, was shut for an astonishing 78 months, more than 60% of the entire decade. So he was in lockdown, but it's hard to say whether he definitely wrote all of King Lear in lockdown, basically. But, you know, it's nice to imagine a tortured soul spending his time writing something yeah. great worth. Were people angry about Dictator Dan back then as well? Lockdown's not fair. It's not fair with that dictator Dan walking around. And this Howard government, I won't go into it too much, but I'm very political. (laughs) You're a political comedian. I know know that. (laughs) That Howard government. You know me. You know me. It's only going to be a a few minutes before you brought up the Howard government. I knew it. (laughs) And that goddamn GST. If that ever comes in, I'm going to be one mad customer. Do you think people were like I won't go into it. I won't go into it. People shouting at plague doctors in the street, you know, with their long, like, their big plague masks and (laughs) the 
because they wouldn't. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what the Elizabethan uh, equivalent of Bunnings is, but they wouldn't. You know, they, yeah. would, they, they wouldn't wear an Elizabethan Karen. Yeah, which would probably be Karen. Yeah, probably exactly Karen. I'm sure that there were people shouting about how it was fake, despite the fact that 50% of everyone in some places were dying. It's not real. Stop well, you couldn't real. have blamed it on 5G back then. No. People tried. People right. did try. They no probably blamed it, it on the town crier. Like, he was, you know, he's out <laughs> <Yeah>. there <laughs> shouting his messages on whatever frequency that is. <laughs> All right, well, let's crack into it. Act one is where I like to start. And... Um, the opening scene is where I like to start as well. So I thought you were go. going to memento this shit and <laughs> yeah, yeah, really right. <laughs> break it up as much as possible. Yeah. So it's harder to understand. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Flashback to a character you've never met. Right. <laughs> uh, so the opening scene takes place in King Lear's palace. Now, King Lear, our title character, is the vain king of Britain and is tired of being on the throne. So he decides he wants to retire. So he decides to divide his kingdom with his three daughters. He's going to split it up between Goneril, Regan, and Cordelia. Okay. Okay. What do, of, what do you think of those names? Goneril, Regan, Cordelia. Goneril's a beautiful name. <laughs> They're very Josh Whedon-y. They're very, very Josh Whedon when he was making television. I feel like they're all characters from Josh Whedon Productions. <laughs> Buffy, Angel... <laughs> Who I believe was around before Bill Shakespeare. I believe. I'm not. I, I haven't looked that up, but I believe. I think he was a script doctor on Twelfth Night. I think that might have been. There. <laughs> Just did have punched it up a bit. Which is ten things I hate about you. Boom. Exactly. Yep. I know. I get Shakespeare. I get it. <laughs> so King Lear declares that he will give the bigger share to the daughter that can prove that she loves him the most. So the oldest, Goneril. Fantastic name. Beautiful. Just rolls off the tongue. She gets up and gives a very poetic speech about how much she loves her dad. Then Reagan, the middle child, gets up and she does the same. Very poetic. I love you. You know, lots of compliments in there. They flatter him and he loves it. Straight away, he's like, yep, here's some land for you. Here's some land for you. Straight away? He doesn't even think about it. No, he goes, land, land. Take it. Take it. You love me. I get it. I love hearing praise. I'm a vain old man. To have that power. But finally, it's Cordelia, the youngest daughter, and the king's favourite's turn. But she says she has nothing to say because words cannot express her love. She says, I love your majesty, according to my bond, no more, no less. Which is like quite a nice thing to say. Basically, I love you more than words and as much as a daughter should love their father. Yeah. That sounds nice, doesn't it? I've done that on, um, like, leaving cards at workplaces and stuff when I've actually forgotten to write something on the card. I have often said, words just can't describe how much I will miss you. It's they've such already, a cop-out. They've sealed the envelope and you can't get your words in there. <laughs> Come on, Cordelia, pick up your game. Does she say, because it says, like, I love you. Does she say, I love you a lot? Or does she say, I love you as much as I am contractually obligated to as your daughter? Because that was the vibe, like... <laughs> Do you know, it's like when you're like, you know, when you, have, you I, like I get hired to do gigs and I'm meant to be walking around doing like two hours of card tricks and I will arrive at eight o'clock and I will leave at 10 o'clock. And that's the, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm not going to stay an extra 10 minutes and do an extra little thing for yeah. the boss. Yeah. 
Is that is that? I mean, because that as, as, that's the vibe I'm getting from her. It is a similar vibe. She basically says, "I've got a heart. I can give this much to my dad, this much to my future husband, and that's it. That's my that's my bond." Mm. So it is really. The bare minimum, but also the maximum at the same time. She's trying to say that I can't put it into words, mate. And he does not get it. He gets angry at Cordelia and thinks she means she doesn't love him at all. So he disowns her and gives her share of the kingdom to the older sisters, Goneril and Reagan. So she's just missed out completely now. So land and everything. So they've got everything at the moment. Yeah, so it's it's 50-50 now. Oh my god! So is she is she upset at this point? Like, is she livid about that? Because she does yep. love him. We all know that. Oh yeah, she does, and she was the favorite until moments ago. Oh god! And uh, what makes matters even more complicated is Gon- Goneril is married to the Duke of Albany, and Reagan, the other sister, is married to the Duke of Cornwall. And it's remarked upon that the kingdom has essentially now been divided between these very powerful men. Okay, like a Howard and a Dictator Dan. Yeah, that's type. right. Dictator Dan and John Howard have split the kingdom <laughs> with their wives. That's right. Just to put it into um, modern terms for any Victorian listeners. <laughs> yeah, to be a little bit too specific <laughs> and alienate quite a few listeners. <laughs> Is Cordelia married? Cordelia's not married yet. Yet, okay. Because, um, mm. because the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy, two other very powerful men, they arrive after both having proposed marriage to Cordelia. They're both throwing their hat in the ring, but when they get there, they've told that she's been disinherited and Burgundy pulls out and he's like, I don't want to marry her now. But the King of France is impressed by her honesty and decides to marry her anyway. So she oh. goes off to France with a new husband. So she's out of the picture for a while anyway. Do we follow them or do we leave that story? Because that's quite a beautiful rom-com that I believe someone like Richard Curtis could write. Yeah, uh, I'd love to uh, pitch that to him because we don't actually hear, we don't know what's going on. They just go away for a bit. Oh, God. The romance that you don't hear about, quite powerful. It's like how she didn't want to say how much she loved him. We just don't need to hear about any of that. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with the the book, uh, the the Love love Languages book? You know, the the different different people have different ways of expressing their love. This is... Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, yes. And there are some people who like... Uh, words of affirmation so like they will they want people to say I love you but there are other people who don't you might be in a relationship with someone who doesn't use words of affirmation but instead quality time acts of service I can't remember what the other ones are Um, gifts I think is another one and if if you and the person you love don't have matching or uh, complementing love languages you can feel unhappy in the relationship and I'm feeling like King Lear, he wants the words of affirmation, but maybe Cordelia's just mm. is happy to yep. give quality time or yeah. acts of service. Yeah. Acts of service, like loyalty and things like that. That's how she shows her love. But he's just like, lady, tell me that you love me. Yeah. So like, yeah. you don't say you love me, but... What's your love language, Nick? Um, uh, I, I'm a, a quality time person. I'm just as long as we are spending time together. I'm happy. I don't. I'm not big on the gifts and the words of affirmation. I just want you and I. Sorry. You and I spending time together. We are. Yeah, that's it. And I feel the love. That's (laughs) that's it. Um, um, you know, Dave obviously he likes a fruit basket, and that's why I've got one arriving at his place any moment now. Just to be, you know, because he wants the gift. Oh, fantastic. 
Once yeah, definitely. Gift. Fruit baskets are the way to my heart. Everyone take note. <laughs> I'm not because I use the word love a little bit too much and a little bit freely. And I um I remember telling uh, an ex girlfriend of mine that I loved her, and then I saw a dog that walked by, and I went, I love that dog. I love it. And she was like, This means nothing to me now. You know. So you've really got to. I was. I'm very quick to love. So um, <laughs> maybe that's a deleted scene. Was it a scene. great dog? I'm sure. It oh was. my god, Cavoodle. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I'd, I'd be happy to be compared to a Cavoodle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. they're the best kind of dogs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there is a deleted scene where, like, King Lear, you know, she says, look, I haven't got the words to express my love for you. And King Lear says, oh, that's okay. But then a cavoodle walks on stage and then she showers it with, like, word, you know, poetry expressing her adoration for this dog. And then he, then is the moment <laughs> that he cuts her out of the will. Maybe that's the moment that, that really breaks it for him. I love to think about deleted scenes in Shakespeare as well, where you would have deleted scenes and maybe a really funny blooper reel. Oh, yeah, there's a few in this one. <laughs> <laughs> it always the mark of a good film, like the end of Monsters, Inc., where they went ahead with animating a blooper reel that didn't happen. That's a lot of respect. Mad respect to that. Come back tomorrow night to see King Lear at six, the blooper reel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other character introduced at the top of the play is called the Earl of Kent, uh, who is loyal to King Lear, and he objects to Lear's treatment of the young daughter Cordelia, who's just kicked out. And he tells him he's making a bad decision, but Lear won't listen and is so enraged by Kent's comments that he banishes him from the kingdom as well. So essentially, King Lear has just pushed away the two people who actually look out for him. This happens time and time again with people, you know. Pushing people away never helps. And I feel like if I could reference King Lear to anyone, I would see it as the dad in succession, which I believe was written before King Lear. (laughs) And I, I will check that out. I will actually look that up after. But... You know, that that love language, going back to that, Nick, that, that's quite a hard thing to get your head around, that if you don't say it right now, you're, you're banished. Do, is, is King Lear at this point a likeable person? No, no, he's not very likeable. He very much is uh, he, he's quite vain. He wants people to agree with him and anyone, even if they're looking out for him, giving him advice. He's just like, no, I know best. I'm the king. Like a Carl Sanderlands type. Yeah, let's call him King Kyle Sanderlands. <laughs> yeah. Also the name of his production company, King Kyle. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I always like to give him a little plug. little shout out to Kyle if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, you try to help out the underdog. Appreciate mm. that, Sam. Always, always. You know me. <laughs> is he is he crazy at this point? Kyle Sanderlands. Is he crazy yet? Are you talking about King Lear or yeah, Kyle no, Sanderlands? Kyle, I mean, Kyle Sanderlands, clearly, but like King... No, he's not mad. He's just like, you know, a typical king that his whole life's been given everything to him. So he just expects everyone to... To respect him, but as you were about to find out, that's not the case because his two, the two sisters, his two daughters that inherited the kingdom, Goneril and Regan, they speak to each other without him being there about how everything they said to their father was a lie about loving him, and that he's actually an old fool. Oh, oh dear, that's oh dear. not nice. That's no way to treat your father. So really, that's one story in this play: King Lear and the relationship with his three daughters, Goneril and Regan, who've played him. And Cordelia, who was nice and basically exiled to France with her new husband, the King of France. 
The other storyline that I'll introduce now is based around the powerful Earl of Gloucester and his two sons. So it's a real Brady Bunch scenario. Three daughters over here, two sons over here. The Earl of Gloucester, he's got uh, one legitimate son called Edgar. And the other is his bastard son, so out of wedlock with a mistress, called Edmund, who was one mm. year younger. So it's this is I wish that Shakespeare had chosen two names that sounded completely different, but we've got Edgar, the legitimate child, and Edmund, the bastard son. Don't need to if you're Shakespeare. Go for it. I would make things as complicated as possible. I know why has he done that? <laughs> I have a I have a lot of writing books that like you know like how to be a good writer, and they all they all say things like if you have two characters uh, that are similar ages um, and are similar in any way, do not give them similar names. And that's just like that's like that's one of the like top writing tips is just do not give people <laughs> similar names. I really like the idea of just someone give like someone you know doing a I don't know like a webinar writing a webinar with Shakespeare and taking him through his the problem. A little red with, pen through a lot of his notes. Yeah, that's right. Just no, I'm sorry. What do you? What about George? <laughs> yeah. Where is Shakespeare now? I mean, he hasn't brought anything out for a while. Maybe you're right, Nick. Maybe maybe he did need another edit with some of his works. Mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> Could be a lot bigger now. Could be writing the new Richard Curtis film. <laughs> he wishes. <laughs> so, uh, back to our, our two bro- half-brothers, Edmund, who's the bastard son, is pissed off about being illegitimate and not getting everything that his older brother Edgar gets. So Edmund plots to frame his older half-brother by forging a letter that implies Edgar is going to steal his father Gloucester's land. Edmund shows this fake letter to his father and it works a treat. Did he write it with his left hand or did he cut out of Cosmo magazine big letters? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It was very sinister looking. (laughs) Can I check? Does this have anything to do with King Lear at the moment? Or or am I just... Is this like just a completely different story that happens to be going on at the same time? Uh, That's... So uh, Gloucester is in the same court of King Lear. So all these characters know each other, but that's like the subplot. There's King Lear and his daughters, and there's Gloucester and his two sons. And would you know it, that they're all going to mix in crazy ways. It is like a Richard Curtis film, like Love Actually. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I thought for a minute it was going to be like one of those episodes of Malcolm in the Middle, where you never... The older brother's just at military school and he has his own story and it never relates to anything else and you're not really sure why he's in the show. Like, it's <laughs> like a whole other... Do you know what Nick, I mean? that's episodes? one of my favourite things in it when they lose an actor as well in a TV show and the TV show's going for ages and then a character just disappears and they always go, he went to military school or just somewhere so <laughs> yes. far away and it's never questioned by anyone. Or in Happy Days, where in the first season he had an older brother, and then just not only is the older brother written out, there is no like, oh, he went to, he joined the, the army, there's no military school. Yeah. He just disappears completely, all the pictures off the wall, we never speak of him again. Yeah. And I feel like the, there's a missing episode of Happy Days where that's explained. In the writer's room. <laughs> no, in the know, writer's he... room, they're just going, oh, should we, should we reference that? Do you think people will notice? No, I wouldn't worry about it. No, people. Yeah, they're not. They're not going to. They're not looking at those little details like how many children the Cunninghams have. <laughs> All right. So meanwhile, King Lear, he's 
kicked off one daughter. The other two are now in charge of the land, but he's hoping to live a quiet life now. Well, I say that. Him and his 100 knights and his posse, who so is still living a lavish life, have decided to spend his time between his daughter's places. But surprise, surprise, when he gets to daughter number one Goneril's house, now she has the land she wanted, she's no longer nice to him. In fact, she's quite rude about his loud posse of knights and tells him that they'll have to go. Oh, that's not on. Yeah. What sort of love language is that? I know. <laughs> Anger. That's, Anger. that's not on. <laughs> Can I say though, that's exactly what I do to my parents when they visit. Like that's like hundred percent. Like you know, they, they come to come come down to, to Melbourne to see the grandkids, and you know, if they bring their one hundred knights with them and their <laughs> oafish and drink all of our mead, I, yeah. I'm not afraid, even though it is my parents, to say, "Hey, you're gonna have to go." Even when they've gotten over the moat to see you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Couldn't they like just put him up at yeah, like a nearby Airbnb or like a motor lodge or something? Like I feel like, you know, yeah, best and western. Yeah, it's bloody rude. I tell you what, it's bloody mm. rude. I'm I'm on King Lear's side with this. Uh, sorry, with the yeah. with her side, the daughter's side on this one. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, this king is used to being treated with all the respect in the world. So not happy with this disrespect, Leah leaves for the other daughter, Reagan's house. He's like. This other daughter's going to be nice to me, surely. Mm. Meanwhile, Leah's old friend Kent, who uh, he banished for telling him he was being mean to his youngest daughter, arrives back on the scene, telling the audience that he has disguised himself as a servant called Caius in order to return and serve King Leah. Where did the audience come from? (laughs) Have I not introduced them yet? (laughs) No, who are they? I want to meet every single one of them, Dave. Start now. (laughs) Oh, I've, got I've, a got gloss over some, I've got a gloss over some of the details, Sam. We'll be here all night. I'll tell you, Mary from Ringwood's here with her husband tonight selling, uh, celebrating their 40th anniversary. She is such a thespian. She goes to every <laughs> local production. Well, she loves it. She bloody loves it. <laughs> well, wouldn't you know, so Kent's rocked up, dressed as Caius. King Lear doesn't recognise his old friend and takes up the stranger's offer of service and asks him to go ahead to Reagan's house. He's like, great, if you could take a letter and tell him I'm on my way, that'd be fantastic. Thanks for offering you, for help, for offering you help. Leah is also joined by his jester and companion referred to as The Fool, uh, who openly tells Leah that he, um, that he himself was a fool to give away the kingdom. So he's sort of like a, a jester that ribs the king, and he's the only one who's actually honest with the king, whereas most other people get told to piss off and leave forever if they tell him the truth but he delivers him advice and uh, one of my favorite lines is um have more than thou showest speak less than thou knowest lend less than thou owest i mean that's good advice that's That's good good advice advice. does the jester Mm. say that yeah he says that to the king not very funny but i like it and does but does he listen at all sam (laughs) absolutely not absolutely not I think comedy is more than just laughs. You know, you got to have you got to have a message there as well. You got light and shade. Of, he's one of those kind of Nanette comedians that kind of makes you laugh, but also makes you think uh, and feel, and you know, challenge you, you the way in which you see the world. A uh, bit of pathos. Mm-hmm. They really oh, yeah. went out of fashion, didn't they? The the court jester. Yeah, I reckon we should bring him back. <laughs> Yeah. Well, for Dictator Dan, he needs one. Yeah, he needs one. <laughs> Jingling his bells at the end of the yeah. announcement every day. <laughs> thou hast show us more than thou knowest. And everyone's like, 
didn't did not land well, but uh, what does that mean? Give us the numbers. <laughs> and then he's got the interpreter, the Auslan interpreter, <laughs> having to go through every single thing. Um, so at the end of the uh, at the end of the scene, the fool predicts the other daughter Reagan will treat King Lear no better. So ironically, the fool is very wise. Hmm? See what he's done there? Mm-hmm. Okay, very clever. Meanwhile, back in our subplot. The bastard son, Edmund, is able to convince his father, Gloucester, that Gloucester's legit son, Edgar, is plotting against him. Remember I told you his plan was to frame the older brother. Mm. And what he does is uh, he fakes a wound and says that Edgar attacked him. And uh, when he refused to join the plot against his dad and Gloucester falls for a beauty and declares Edgar, his real son, an outlaw. So it's worked a treat. He's really framed his bigger brother here, the bastard son. And does he know that he's been framed? No, he's not aware. He doesn't know. He just takes it. He just goes, yeah, okay, I'm abandoned now. Like, yeah. I can't. Okay, I guess that checks out, whatever. I won't look into yeah. this. <laughs> does he kind of go, maybe I, maybe I did stab someone. <laughs> I've stabbed a lot of people. I can't keep track of them I'll all. black out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some serious issues. And my love language is using a sword, so this does make sense. This makes complete sense. (laughs) Well, hang on. Okay, can I just guess, is the twist that Edgar and Edmund are the same person and this is like a fight club situation? (laughs) Oh, that's good. Is this what's happening here? Because if that's what's happening, I'm on board for this. I don't want to give it away, but I also don't want to disappoint, so... Okay, all right. <laughs> Fight club ending. Yeah, let's wait crossed. till the end until we're disappointed. I think the the twist is <laughs> okay. that we're all, we were all Edgar all along. All of us. Yep. Uh, even the audience. Yeah, the, the character I refer to as the audience is actually also Edgar. It's very confusing. I'm trying to I'm trying to make it palatable, but it's, okay. it's difficult. <laughs> okay. Um, then we come back to Kent. Remember Kent? He was disguised as the servant called Caius. He gets to uh, Gloucester's house to pass on a message to King Lear's daughter, Reagan. Remember, he went ahead. Mm. And uh, Kent has a fight with one of the sister's servants, a man called Oswald. And they end up putting Kent in the stocks. So he's locked in the stocks. You know when you, you put your head and your arms through that wooden contraption? Yeah, they've got one at Sovereign Hill and I've done it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it's very fun. You take a photo. Yeah. Oh. That sounds fun. (laughs) Sodomy jokes get made. It's a real treat. (laughs) Do they throw apples and stuff at you as well? Some people do. Fruit roll-ups. If you upset people enough. Yeah, roll-ups, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, Kent went ahead and he gets locked in the stocks. Lear arrives and sees that his servant is in the stocks asleep and he's outraged. He's like, what the hell are you doing to my staff? He's outraged. Only grows when he is told that his daughter, Reagan, won't even see him. So she's ignoring him. I saw that coming. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's just ignoring him at the moment. Yeah. And things go from bad to worse. I was going to get worse. Yeah. The other sister, Goneril, arrives. And together, they tell their dad they'll no longer pay for and support his team of knights. So the knights are dismissed. Cutbacks, you've got to make cutbacks even in a large organisation like that. Cutbacks are necessary <laughs> to keep afraid. the business afloat. In this economy. <laughs> in this economy. Well, King Lear is shocked and appalled and calls his daughters unnatural hags. Great oh. insult. And then he walks off into a storm to yell about how annoyed he is. 
<laughs> to anyone or just into the storm? He just yells into the storm. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. That would be great. It seems fun, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, just shouting. Is this the first yeah. big dramatic moment, the first monologue from, from King Lear? Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely the, 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 the crowning point of this act, absolutely. How is this handled theatrically, the, the storm? Like, how do, we, how do we know that it's a storm? If it's, you it's, know? I think it's cellophane. I think the <laughs> stage manager comes on with cellophane and just sort of put, like, puts it on a fan and it kind of it shows it. I mean, depending on how big the budget is. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's Ringwood Community Arts Centre. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe maybe if it was done in UK on the West End, maybe they would have I don't know maybe some sort of three D or your four D experience where the audience actually mm-hmm. feels it too by the stage manager running and blowing in the audience's face. Oh right, so just sort yeah. of like sharing them, like the yeah. like the Marsh, the Marvin the Martian four D experience at Movie World where. He basically spits on you at some point. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that. You just get spat on by Marvin the Martian and then you, you you go on the lethal weapon ride and that's your holiday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you've paid for that experience. <laughs> so he's pissed off. He walks into the storm. His daughters lock the doors as he leaves. They don't give a shit about him anymore. And with his knights dismissed, his only loyal companions are his fool and Kent still dressed as Caius the servant. So it's been a real swift fall from grace for the once powerful king. He only gave up... Wait, so he kept his, his costume on in the his disguise. He kept that on in the stocks. Yeah. Oh, this man is an amazing actor. <laughs> really commits. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but is it... Because it makes... It reminds me of, like, Batman, like, where they capture Batman and they don't think to take the mask off. <laughs> why do they? Why do they do that? I don't know. Well, because once the mask is off, it's the the you know duality of Bruce Wayne and Batman is yeah discovered. I don't know. So it Batman is plot. still Batman, even though they had the opportunity to to reveal that that he's actually Bruce Wayne. Absolutely, and they all knew Bruce Wayne as well in this. Yeah. Well, he's a billionaire industrialist. Like, who would? I mean, you would recognize him. Yeah, yeah everyone of knows course. him. Everyone knows Bruce. <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, in Act 3 now, uh, Lear continues to yell into the storm about his daughters. And this is really when he starts to lose his mind. As Sam said at the, at the top of the episode, he knows he loses his mind. You're absolutely spot on, Sam. And from this oh, point... Thank you only... so much. What do I win? <laughs> um, you, you've won some white goods. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Every episode, I give away a washing machine and my friend. <laughs> Tonight's your night. I'd like to thank the Academy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> Uh, from this point, he just gets crazier and crazier throughout the play, I've got to say. Okay, here's my question. So he wasn't crazy at the beginning of the play. He was just a jerk. Now is the point where he is crazy and he's going to become crazier. Yeah. So is does King Lear suffer from underlying m- mental health problems and the, uh, the stress of the events have triggered his mental health problems? Or is this more of a PTSD situation where the uh, the trauma of the betrayal of his daughters has uh, has, has has created the breakdown? Okay, well, thank goodness that we've got our resident psychologist Sam Peterson here on this episode to break down <laughs> what you think, Sam. I'm going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lock it in. <laughs> lock it in. Can we lock in yes? Yeah. <laughs> I'd all be right. a great expert on TV shows where that's all I say to a really convoluted question and go, yes. Yeah. Like Back to you. 
you're the new Dr. Phil and people present your problem and it's always, yes. <laughs> I, I just, I want to know whether this is, is inevitable or, you know, uh, or whether he, you know, this all could have been sorted out with a, with a meditation app and a couple of mindfulness coloring in books. <laughs> like what? It does, because it is quite a, obviously it's a swift fall from grace, as I said, but it's also a mm. swift uh, step into insanity, I must say. Like it's, yeah. it's but okay. was, is there an underlying thing that has really been bubbling under the surface that no one, I meant as the king, because he's basically he's been surrounded by yes men his entire life. So it's hard mm. to know whether there was other stuff going on and people just never noticed because they just said yes to his every whim. Or is it just that he's so used to people saying yes that this is such a shock that he just can't believe that this is his reality now? But it's not yeah. just, I mean, it's not just someone suddenly said no to him. It is the complete betrayal of the two people who he thought mm. loved him the most in the world in a pretty crushing way, right? Like they're really... That's right. Okay. And now he has no power whatsoever. He's only got two, two, you know, he's got a jester and a servant following him and that's it. Are they still on payroll? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're being, Wait, what happened to the knights? Oh, they were they were fired by Goneril and Reagan. They said we're not they didn't want to pay them anymore. Oh, they just God. kicked him out, and that was part of the thing where he was like, "What do you mean? I just gave you this kingdom, and now I don't have anything." So that's part of what he's battling with. Okay, all right, I'm with you. Uh, meanwhile, the Earl of Gloucester, the other subplot of this play, confides in his illegitimate son, the conniving Edmund, who he thinks is actually on his side. His concerns about how Lear's daughters, Regan and Goneril, and her husband, Cornwall, have forbidden him to help King Lear, his old friend. Oh. So, Gloucester tells Edmund, without realising that he's a bastard, of a letter locked in his closet that is, quote, dangerous to be spoken of, and that there's a plan to help King Lear coming. And as soon as Gloucester leaves, Edmund tells the audience in a bit of a soliloquy, you know, where they put the old hand behind the next to their mouth, so... They think out loud. It's a fantastic theatre trope. I love that. I love it it's so much. It's so good. I love it. That's my favourite part of any play. Especially when you glance over and there's other, the other actors on stage are pretending to be busy with something else. Like they're yeah. like polishing a glass yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Anyone in the background going, what would my character do at this point? <laughs> <the director?"> mm-hmm. <laughs> there are no small parts, only small actors. Yeah. 100%. I'd be a glass polisher. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I would. Um, I would just break into the macarena. <laughs> you just start break dancing. It's like that's what my character would do. Not distracting from the <laughs> my play at all. Would do then limbo by myself. <laughs> Nothing sadder than watching someone do limbo by themselves. What's their story? You just shoot a gun aimlessly into the air. That's what you do in your spare time. <laughs> and at audience members. <laughs> I lock eyes with audience members as I shoot them Meanwhile your castmate is trying to give their most dramatic moment Where they turn to the crowd and reveal something You're just shooting people On the side <laughs> I'm very immersive While Sam is doing that and while Nick is polishing a glass Edmund tells the audience that he will immediately report all of this to Cornwall So his dad's just confided in him and he said I'm going to tell this guy Cornwall, what my dad's been saying. Uh, I've already shot 10 people by this point. Oh, yeah, yeah there's so many dead. So many <laughs> and then, eh, hey, Macarena, blackout. <laughs> oh, that's good stage directions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd li- I'd li- I really want to see you or someone doing the Macarena with a loaded gun in each hand. <laughs> I think that's just Terrifying. A, a firing and distinguish- this 
hand, uh, arms up, bang, 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 like a, <laughs> you know, like a, like an old Wild West gun show. That's, yes. <laughs> yeah. Hello, so, Australia's Got Talent next season. Uh, next season. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so Gloucester, who's just inadvertently told the wrong son that he's uh, about his plans, meets up with King Lear, his old friend. And uh, King Lear is pretty insane by this point, driven by the betrayal of his daughters. And he even holds a mock trial for them. And the whole scene is absolutely off the wall. He's just okay. talking to people, absolutely losing it. Does the fool say anything funny at this point? No. No. I'm afraid not. He did He did it with that great line about thou us knowest that one. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, just tapped right. out. He had a good one. <laughs> As the king, though, like, surely it's just a trial. Like, what, like, if he's the king, what's stopping it from being a real trial? Why yeah. does it have to be a mock trial? Like, trial by not... Kyle. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, yeah, if, even if the people are absent, if you're the king, you're the king, right? Yeah. 100%. Well, Gloucester meets up with him and he convinces Lear that he must leave as he's heard of a plot to kill him. He's like, your life's in danger. So he bustles Kent, King Lear and the fool off to Dover on the coast of England, not far from France, where he's told allies will be waiting to meet him there. I know who else is in France, Cornelia. Oh, well, that's right. Okay. Then Lear's daughters, the evil ones, Reagan and Goneril, are angry to hear of Gloucester's betrayal. They're shown a letter that indicates Gloucester supports a secret French invasion that is being planned to help reinstate King Lear. So the resistance from France is coming. About time. That's some real... That sounds like a consp- that conspiracy theory. That, like, the secret French invasion. That's some real QAnon stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. That's right. <laughs> that, that's, that's some... Yeah, some... <laughs> Let's get re-elected by getting people terrified of a f- secret French invasion. <laughs> so they well, they find this letter on uh, that says Gloucester is um, in cahoots with King Lear and the French people. So And Reagan, the daughter, says, oh, we should hang him instantly. And Goneril says, pluck out his eyes. And you're like, all right, Shakespeare, using some cur- colourful language there. Yeah. Th- that will never happen, right? Right. I would say end of play. Well, Sam, let me just tell you. Blackout. I've already done it. Blackout. <laughs> the end. It's done. No, no, don't leave. leave. Put the lights back on. <laughs> don't leave. Don't hey, leave. Macarena. Poo, <laughs> <laughs> poo. I, I can't think of any Shakespeare plays where cooler heads prevail, where they just sit down and think, just just have a chat. There's, there's no, yeah. there's no, there's, there's no famous mediation scenes in Shakespeare. <laughs> well, they they capture Gloucester to interrogate him, and Gloucester's all like, "Old friends, what's the meaning of this?" And they tie him to a chair and question him. And when asked what he knows about King Lear, Gloucester says he's uh, sent Lear to Dover, and he says, "Quote because I could not see thy cruel nails pluck out his poor old eyes. Like I don't, I, I wouldn't want to see you do anything bad to him." And with that, Reagan's husband. Cornwall gouges out one of Gloucester's eyes, throws it on the ground, and then steps on it. Oh, that's the final blow, isn't it? Why do you have to step on it? Oh. Well, now, hang on. <laughs> Sorry. D- d- I feel like I missed something. Does someone grab him? Is there a dish, or is it, is it like in Kill Bill Volume 2? Like, is it like just plucks it straight out of the eye unexpectedly? Oh. Yeah, they somehow so he's tied to a chair and they just get in there and rip it out and throw it on the ground and it's it does honestly it's one of the most violent scenes in all of Shakespeare. It's pretty 
pretty messed up. I think it's probably with one of those sticky hands. Remember those things where you could like <laughs> throw it at something mm-hmm. and pull it out? I yep. imagine it's done. In my yeah. version, at Ringwood Theatre coming out this November, <laughs> hopefully all being well, mm-hmm. um, that would that's how we would do that scene. Well, my mum was always saying, like, you'll you'll lose an eye if you keep throwing that thing around, and she was bloody right. <laughs> yeah. What if, can I just, just, just to maybe offer an alternative for the eye plucking, what if instead of using the sticky hand, pluck the eye out as per the original, but then throw it against the uh, sliding door window, and then it just sort of flops down like the little sticky man, <laughs> you know, with the okay. little legs that just sort of flop, flops down to the floor? All like the way just, down. I don't know. No bad ideas in a brainstorm. Anyway. <laughs> There's no bad ideas in the Ringwood Theatre Company, that's for sure. That's their motto. And it shows. It really, really shows. <laughs> hey team, just Dave here, very quickly stopping the podcast to tell you that this week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Love me some Audible. And if you don't know who they are, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. I'm talking bestsellers, memoirs, news, business, self-development, and of course, classic literature. It's all on there. If you're an Audible member like me, you get a credit every month to pick any title, plus you get two Audible originals as well. You can listen anywhere that you're listening to this podcast. I just think wherever you're listening to me talk right now, you could also be listening to some audiobooks in the same spot. And like I said at the top of the episode when Nick asked me how I actually read my books... I love listening to Shakespeare on Audible when I'm reading it. It just brings the play to life in my mind. It just makes it so much easier to understand and really digest it. I'd suggest it to anyone that wants to know more about Shakespeare, but especially if you're studying it. Honestly, it's my biggest tip. So for King Lear, I listened to the Archangel Shakespeare version on Audible. It stars Trevor Peacock, who's famous for being in The Vicar of Dibley as King Lear, and also a little-known actor by the name of David Tennant, as Edgar. There you go. That changes things in your mind. Probably doesn't. Excellent production. Like I said, brings it to life. So that is my tip this month. King Lear on Audible. And if you'd like to get started with Audible, you can go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. One more time, go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. Thanks, Audible. And back to the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, they're looking at Glosser. He's only got one eye left. He's still tied to a chair. Reagan tells her husband, pull out the other eye. But a servant watching on is so outraged that he steps in and says, he can't let this barbarity continue. So the servant and Cornwall have a sword fight. And the servant gravely wounds Cornwall. But Reagan, his wife, steps in and stabs the servant to death. So... Now mortally wounded and very, very angry, Cornwall gouges out Gloucester's other eye. Ugh. And now um, blinded, Gloucester calls out for help from his son, Edmund. And that's when Reagan reveals that it was his son, Edmund, that betrayed him all along. And Gloucester 
blinded laments that he should have trusted the other son, his legitimate son, Edgar. It's very dramatic. But he doesn't know who he's talking to at that point, so everyone's gone. <laughs> yeah, <no>. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Uh, Reagan orders the remaining servants to, quote, go thrust him out at the gates and let him smell his way to Dover. And Gloucester is turfed out and left to blindly wander the heath without his eyes. Very brutal. Oh, so sad. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I did bring you on for a tragedy, Sam. Yeah. I'm real I... hungover today and I didn't really need this. <laughs> yeah, I am a little traumatised by that, to be honest. I feel like the, f- the fact that they let him go sans eyes rather than just killed him is troubling. I find that troubling. <laughs> I know, it's really awful, isn't it? Yeah. Do we get any, any sort of uh, closure on him later on? Does he come back? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's coming okay. in. In right. the blooper bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now out helplessly wandering, Gloucester, his legitimate and loyal son Edgar, the one that he was like, oh, I should have trusted him, actually comes across his father. And does he reveal himself? Of course not. This is Shakespeare after all. Edgar decides to be in dis- disguise himself as a madman called Poor Tom, and his father does not recognise his voice. God, he's good Shakespeare, isn't he? He's so good. (laughs) That's a lot of... Like, why does he need to be a madman? Like, why does he need to go to that level of... um, I mean, Mm. his dad is traumatised and missing his eyes. Like, he doesn't really need to go to a huge amount of effort to disguise himself (laughs) at that point. But he did go to NIDA and he really wants to get his money's worth from that degree. So he's like, (laughs) give me a character. Mad Mm -hmm. Tom. Give me a situation. Give me. I'm going to need a scene. I'm going to to improvise my way to the rest rest of this play. Doing that arm game, you know that one where you put your arms through. That's a fun one. Yeah. (laughs) It's that, but with eyes. Yeah. yeah. Not done a lot in Shakespeare. Uh, so blinded Gloucester asks poor Tom, who he doesn't realise is his son, to lead him to the cliffs of Dover, and they they walk off. Off the cliff. No, they walk towards the Cliffs of Dover. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, that was unclear. <laughs> oh, we'll get the to end. the cliff. Blackout again. <laughs> uh, back with the evil sisters, things are really heating up with Goneril and Reagan. Goneril is upset with her husband, Albany, who she views as soft since he was disgusted about the gouging out of Gloucester's eyes. That's not something you're going to get over quickly. And she's like, come on, mate, are you on our team or not? So she's really going off her husband. So Goneril starts making moves on Edmund, the bastard son that betrayed the man who lost his eyes. <sighs> she kisses him before sending him off to see her sister, but is secretly worried that her sister Reagan will also make a move on Edmund because she's now a widow as her husband, the eye gouger Cornwall, has died after the servant attacked him. Ah. <sighs> Do we see that, or is that just all happens off? Oh, no, so he's just, uh, he gets mortally wounded, and then he wanders off, and it's implied that he's now, he's gone. He's deceased. Yeah, okay. But this means there's now a love triangle between Goneril, who is over her husband, Albany, and Reagan, whose husband has died, and Edmund, the bastard son. So two sisters are now going after the one man. It's very messy. Oh, my God. Is Nick still polishing the glass at this point? (laughs) Or have we? Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing bits of business though, like I'm sort of spitting into the glass and, right. you know, I'm kind of reacting. I've got little little kind of sighs and puffs and, you know, scoffs and, 
you know, yeah, like wow. I might kind of look at someone else and give a little, <laughs> are you seeing this kind of gesture? Um, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, you know, I'm very much in the character, but I'm not trying to upstage, you know. Okay, there's no backflip thrown in. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm. I know my place in the in the yeah. in the thinking there, and it's getting those glasses polished for the for the final scene. Oh yeah. Well, at Ringwood um, Theatre, and I, I won't go into it too much after this. I will just give it one more plug. Um, <laughs> we usually have light refreshments after the first show. So, mm-hmm. Nick, if you could polish the glasses for that during the show, that would be fantastic. <laughs> On stage. <laughs> On <Yeah>. stage. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tax write-off if you do it on stage. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just listened to a, and I'm not gonna. I, I was just listening to another podcast, uh, and they were talking about a show in New York called Crime, uh, the Perfect Crime, and it's one of the worst plays on, uh, in New York, and but it has been running for thirty years, and the reason why it's been oh, wow. running for thirty years is there's one woman who just does everything, and she's in the play. And she goes off stage during the play and like checks emails and like cleans the toilets and then comes back on stage for the rest <laughs> of her scenes. Um, and will literally like sell people tickets and like then also deal with all the people who want refunds after the show, but is wow. also the star of the show. We did that at the Ringwood Theatre um, for one one season when we didn't have a play and we couldn't afford a play. So we just let the admin person, people just come in, the audience would just watch her just do mm-hmm. some paperwork for a bit. So was it's that, very similar. Was that one ad, Admin the Musical, was it? No, it was Admin the Musical, but no musical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Couldn't afford the music, come on. Couldn't afford it. Couldn't that afford the right. very avant-garde. <laughs> it was very... It, yeah, it won um, Best Show at Melbourne Fringe. <laughs> I, yeah, I used to be a big fan of the um, janitor sweeping the stage before the show and then turns out he is in the show. That was always a yeah. very fond of that, of that trope. And <laughs> yeah, always, anytime I was at the theatre as a kid and I would see a cleaner, I'd always be giving them the, giving them this like little <laughs> looks at it, waiting for them to burst into song or something to happen and very disappointed. And most of the again. time it was just a cleaner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just a clue. Just, yeah. 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 And you were following him around going after the show, going, I wonder when it's going to happen. It's going to happen really soon. Yeah. As you're watching him in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, just waiting. Waiting for the, big, for the big reveal. Yeah, never came. Never came. Very disappointing. Trying to get his autograph as he cleans out the urinals. <laughs> his method. I'll tell you what, his method. method. God, he's good. Uh, checking in on the third daughter, Cordelia, who was kicked out by her father at the start of the play for not buttering him up enough. Well, she has married the King of France and is standing by with troops to uh, invade Britain and uh, reinstate King Lear. She's heard her father is wandering around absolutely mad and sends people to search for him, but has to give up when England's army approaches. So there's going to be a battle here. Fantastic. It's been building to this. I'm excited about oh, yeah. this. Blinded Gloucester has been led to the Cliffs of Dover by his son Edgar, still disguised as a poor mad Tom. And despite Gloucester also recognising that, quote, the ground is even, Edgar convinces him that they are at the top of a high cliff. Uh, And Edgar is sent away by Gloucester because he intends to end his life by jumping off the Cliffs of Dover. Oh, okay. But he's actually not on a cliff. His son has just led him to a flatbed of ground and said, you're standing on the cliff. There's another good scene. We could do that quite easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just need flat ground. 
Well, that's when we get the audience out into the car park. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, it's a walking tour. <laughs> I feel like dramatically, while while that's nice that he's like saving his, you know, like he's he's keeping his 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 uh, keeping him safe. I feel like dramatically, the opposite is much more entertaining if he tells his father that it's perfectly flat ground and then just sends him off the, the place of Dover. That's got, <laughs> just I feel like that's off. got a little more, that's got a little more eye gouging juice that I, yeah, you know, that, I, that I've come to expect. <laughs> that's gravitas. Yeah. Yeah. That way, <laughs> that way, trust me. Straight off the edge. Yeah. <laughs> well, Edgar watches on as his father says his prayers and jumps, thinking he's on the edge of a cliff, but really he's on flat ground. It's one of those classic university hazing pranks. Where you're blindfolded and you're told, oh, you're three stories up, take a step off, and then you're on the flat ground. <laughs> well, <laughs> Gloucester faints as he, as he jumps off the ground onto the ground. <laughs> and when he wakes up, his son Edgar, remember, NIDA graduate, pretends mm. to be a passerby who's found him on the beach and convinces him that it's a miracle that he survived a fall from that really high cliff and surely this is a sign from God to keep going, which he agrees to. So this guy, he's a great actor. He's really good. Yeah. Hang on, sorry. That is the plot of the Michael Douglas movie, The Game, with the whole falling off the cliff to teach someone a lesson. That's like, that's what that movie is about. David Fincher movie, like 1995, Sean Penn. There's a whole thing about him like, you think he thinks he's going to die, but it's actually all just to teach him a valuable lesson about the about life. And I've just realised now that Shakespeare wow. has stolen that from David Fincher's The Game. <laughs> Sorry, he's such just, a plagiarist. I tell you what. Yeah, just wait till hat. you see The Lion King. <laughs> oh no! Uh, so King Lear stumbles upon them on the beach. Uh, babbling and crowned with wild flowers, he's clearly lost the plot, but he he does recognise Gloucester. He goes on a classic King Lear rant, a tirade about sexuality, and uh, really goes on and on. Cordelia's search party finds Lear and they attempt to take him away, but Lear runs away again. Then Oswald, who we met uh, earlier in the play, he put Kent in the stocks, he's the servant for Goneril, he comes across Edgar and Gloucester. He, uh, he does not recognise Edgar, for he's a... Uh, a great actor, and he's playing another character on the beach. A third character. Yeah, yeah, he's got another character. <laughs> <laughs> what he does, So Oswald comes along and sees Gloucester and says, "Oh, I want to. I'm going to kill him and collect the reward that Reagan has said that she will give to anyone who kills this blind man." And this is when the man of a thousand voices, Edgar, adopts yet another character and pretends to be a peasant from the west of England and he puts on this whole new voice. Is he changing characters in front of people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how he's done that. He's gone from a beach, like a, just a dude on the beach that's found his father to, oh, hello, I'm from England. Oh, just putting on one of those sorts of voices. I hope it's exactly like that, Dave. Well, I mean, it's like that, but not quite as good. Yeah. In Ringwood, it never is. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> he defends his father and kills Oswald, whose dying wish to this man, who he thinks is a peasant from the west of England, is to pass on a letter that he's carrying. Edgar reads the letter. It's actually from Goneril, one of King Lear's daughters, to Edgar's brother Edmund, the bastard guy. Mm. 
In the letter, Goneril urges Edmund to kill her husband, Albany, and if, if he gets the opportunity, so that Edmund and Goneril can be together. So that's two people in the love triangle. She's like, I've got a husband, but I want to be with you. So if you see my husband, kill him. And Fair. Edgar, the man of a thousand voices, decides to keep the letter and show it to Albany when the time is right. Does that make sense? I think that that might be a bit confusing, but does that make sense? It's very convoluted, but it makes sense. I don't understand. I mean, are they are the sisters just terrible people? Is that that's it? They're just yeah, yeah, they're real bad. They're just bad because he does. I mean, Shakespeare has bad people, but you tend to understand why they're bad people. Like you, like Richard the Third is all about why he's a bad guy, but this just seems like they're just just dicks. Are they just dicks? Is that that's it? Yeah, they're just dicks. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I like Cornelia. I want her to come back. Well, as the battle between France and England approaches, King Lear is brought in to see his daughter Cordelia. He only half recognises her due to his insanity, but he realises he's, he's wronged her and calls himself a foolish old man. What half of her body does he recognise? Uh, he's definitely he's a foot guy, so he definitely <laughs> recognises his <laughs> feet. <laughs> Uh, she forgives him for sending her away and creating this whole darn mess. So, the, with the battle approaching, the stage is set for the final act. Over in the British camp, the two sisters, who both like Edmund, squabble over him, not wanting to leave the other alone with him. It's one of those scenes where they, uh, you know, they keep coming in with some lemonade just to make sure that the other one's not getting too close to their man. And in a soliloquy, Edmund uh, tells the audience that he has sworn his love to both Goneril and Regan and asks, which of them shall I take? He puts off the decision until after the battle, stating that he'll basically go with whoever wins. And uh, if they do win, he'll show no mercy to King Lear and his daughter Cordelia. So he's also an evil, evil man. Sorry to say. Okay. I hope there's a happy ending here, Dave. Oh, don't worry. We're building towards the happiest ending you'll ever okay. hear. Okay, okay. There better be. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> or I'll walk out of my room and into the living room. That's where. That's the only place I can go. <laughs> well, Albany, who's still married to Goneril, but having cold feet about the whole situation, he still commits to fight alongside the others to stop France from invading England. So no one wants France to France to win. So he's like, all right, I'll still team up with you. And as Albany is leaving, the man of a thousand disguises, Edgar. Catches up to him. As a cat. <laughs> His most challenging role yet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, dressed as a different peasant, he gives him oh, the for letter. For fuck's sake, stick to one. Go back to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he like he owns a costume shop or something. And he's yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah, I wonder what sort of character actor could do this really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be. It's got to be someone who can do all the different, like a Daniel Day Lewis, who can do all the different voices and and you know really oh, yeah. put themselves in. Okay, yeah, because I don't, I don't know someone who can disguise themselves that well. Billy Crudup's quite good. Yeah, or maybe one of the like voiceover people, you know, like Tara Strong, who you know does like the My Little Pony characters and also does the, um, you know, Timmy from, yeah. from Fairly Odd Parents. You know, one of those kind of voice people. Oh, yeah. Let's give it to Magda Sabansky. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She'd do it for cheap, too. We already know her price. <laughs> she, 
Yeah, we absolutely do. We're, we're so worried about her getting paid yeah. all the time. I'm really concerned about that. Well, Edgar, our man with uh, a thousand voices, a thousand disguises, he's dressed as a peasant and he catches up to Albany and gives him the letter that he found on Oswald that gives away that his wife, Goneril, is plotting against him. So Edgar tells Albany to read the letter and says that if Albany wins the upcoming battle, all he should do is sound a trumpet and then Edgar will provide someone to defend the claims made in the letter in a battle. So... Okay, here you go, Nick. So you're going to change in this bit from glass polishing. You're going to get the trumpet as well, I reckon. Oh, trumpet man. No. Yeah, trumpet isn't man. that what you think I'm going to do? No, no, okay. no. I'm committed to the glass polishing. That's 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 it. No, <laughs> okay, I'll do it in between shooting the people then. All right. <laughs> but could you, like, rub the, the edges of the glasses in a way that sounds like a trumpet or something? So it, it turns out that you're, like, a really... That's interesting. Yeah, that's, interesting. that's right. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I reckon. Be angelic. You'll love it. That'd be a beautiful part of the show when I hold the microphone right up to the glass so you can hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would sound well... good. It would sound perfect. <laughs> Well, this whole thing's been building to a battle, but I'm afraid to say the battle actually takes uh, place off stage, and we never see it in the car park. We move yeah. back to the car park. Yeah, back to the car park. Okay. Wait, off stage. Yeah, we don't see it. Okay. Budget cuts again. Yeah, I'm afraid Edgar, our man of a million disguises, he joins the big battle, but returns to his father, the eye gouged Gloucester, with some bad news. He states that King Lear lost the battle and that he and his daughter Cordelia have been captured by the enemy. How shit would Lord of the Rings be if when, like during that film, if people are just watching and just go, oh, look at that battle over there. (laughs) That would have saved a lot of money. (laughs) I love that in plays when people talk about stuff happening over there. That's how um, The Hobbit ends. (laughs) But just with some description. (laughs) With... With uh, the the whole, he gets knocked out and misses the whole battle, and then wakes up and um, he missed this incredible battle, and everyone describes it to him. <laughs> really drawn out. I love that. Tolkien uh, decided to have some budget cuts, even though that it's a completely non-visual medium, and he could have written whatever he wanted. <laughs> no, just, he thought it would be better if another character described what happened. <laughs> I, that's one of my favourite episodes of Suits as well, where he doesn't go to work and. At, like it all happens from the bedroom and he just describes exactly what happened at work that day. <laughs> well, they're all ripping off Shakespeare. He was the original not showing you the fun bit guy. <laughs> so I got to tell you, as is often the way with Shakespeare, it all happens in the final scene. Oh, are we up to the last act? Is this act five? This is act five, the final scene. We're nearly there. All right. Well, the blooper reel goes for a bit, so we're going to make up for time. Okay, That's right, right, during else. the credits, so yeah. you can leave oh. during that. <laughs> um, so Edmund, who's the bastard son, who's betrayed his father Gloucester and made his, his dad get his eyes plucked out, calls for his officers to lock up the imprisoned King Lear and Cordelia, and uh, he secretly sends his captain after them with a note to ensure they're both put to death. So he puts uh, an execution order in. Uh, who's going to play the captain? Is there another character coming out? Oh, yeah. oh Edgar. Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> sure. He can do it all. <laughs> so 
Uh, Goneril's husband, Albany, who doesn't really approve of the shenanigans, he was the one that was outraged by the eye-plucking, enters followed by his wife, Goneril, and her sister, Regan, who continue to argue over who's going to get to be with Edmund. Wait, it's in like, front yeah. of the other <laughs> like, husband? Gon- Goneril, your husband is right there. Yeah. She's got mad game. I have a lot of respect for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, his sister-in-law, Reagan, the other sister, announces her intentions to make Edmund her lord and master. So she's out right now saying, I'm going to marry him. Mm. But then Reagan, who's just made that claim, also begins to feel very ill. And Goneril admits to the audience that she's poisoned her sister. So I'm glad the audience came back. Sorry, but where would she, where would she find a, a glass to give someone a drink to poison them? <laughs> oh, hold on. Mm. Hmm. Who? I don't know. Who had a I glass wish that Shakespeare had written time. in a glass polishing character. <laughs> 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 That's right. You are you are a messenger of death after all. Yep. Oh yeah. No, I'm dressed in a um, Grim Reaper costume for the whole the whole thing. Like, didn't wasn't that made clear that um <laughs> big got a scythe and a big black cloak and my face is painted white? Like, we need um, a rewrite. Yeah, like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's the that's that's how I'm dressed for the whole the whole thing. <laughs> it finally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Albany, he's given the letter that revealed his wife and Edmund were plotting against him. So he has Edmund arrested for capital treason and calls Goneril, his wife, a gilded serpent for her betrayal in promising to marry Edmund if he ki- if he killed him. So he finds that letter. He's like, "Yep, you're gonna." I knew you were going to leave me, but now you're going to kill me? What the hell? He orders Edmund, the man he's just arrested, to defend himself of the charges in a trial by combat. And this is when we hear a trumpet sound. Get the glass out. Yeah, get the glasses out. (laughs) (laughs) And as uh, instructed, he lets out the trumpet sound and Edgar steps forward in armour hiding his face. So new character for Edgar. He's now a knight. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it's Edgar in disguise versus his half-brother Edmund in a duel. And they duel and Edmund is defeated. So Edgar, the good son, kills the evil brother. Okay. Edgar then has a great moment where he reveals who he is to everyone which is a bit of a surprising moment, but he also tells how his father, Gloucester, died off stage after Edgar revealed himself, saying that his dad was overcome of grief of his son, his other son betraying him, but also overcome of joy for him defending him. So his heart burst, apparently. So people oh, are dying left, right, and like centre. Like the Grinch. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that. I'm You've sorry. Like, how, yeah. did, how did your, how did your father, with out. whom you had a contentious relationship, die? Well, he... He loved me so much that his heart exploded. <laughs> I know. Is what happened. It sucks. He really just, yeah. Um, <laughs> he went to give me a set of knives and fell on them and they stabbed him in the back. That's because he loved me so much. <laughs> 58 times. 58 times, yeah. <laughs> well, Edgar... The uh, man of disguises tells the dying Edmund, uh, his half-brother, their father Gloucester lost his eyes to be punished by God for his adultery. And Edmund, the dying man, responds, Thou'st spoken right. Tis true. The wheel is come full circle. 
and this play actually popularized the phrase full circle. So there you go. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. A man rushes in carrying a bloody knife at this point, and he announces that Goneril, one of the other sisters, has committed suicide, and that her sister Reagan has died from poisoning. So there's two more for the body count, both of the older sisters. All off stage? All off stage. Off stage. This okay. is cheap. Off stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, uncharacteristically, as he is dying, the until now extremely evil Edmund admits that he's ordered both King Lear and Cordelia be executed by his captain. So Albany sends men to try and catch up to the prisoners and stop their execution, but it's too late. King Lear enters the stage, holding the body of his daughter Cordelia. The message didn't arrive in time, and Cordelia was murdered. Lear only survived by killing the executioner himself. Off stage. And he comes in saying, howl, howl, howl. Yeah, that happened off stage. Yeah, that's right. Most of the action has has happened off stage. There is some budget cuts uh, at the Ringwood mm-hmm. Performing Arts Centre, so we can't oh, show God. you. Oh, God. What a role for Cordelia as well. If you got cast as Cordelia, you'd think it would be the biggest part. I know, but really, really let down. Most of it was off stage, and even your murder was off stage. <laughs> your big moment. Uh, Albany urges King Lear to resume his throne, but like Gloucester, it's all been too much, and Lear dies of grief. So we just see him collapse, and he dies too. Oh, God. So basically, in summary, the only three remaining people we've met in the entire play are Albany, Edgar, the legitimate son, and Kent, who was one of the few people at the start of the play that stuck by Lear. And the play ends with Albany asking Kent and Edgar to take the throne as they're sort of the most high-ranking people left. Kent refuses, and it's implied that Edgar will accept. End play. The curtain comes down. That's it. Wow. Wow. Blackout. Macarena. Yeah, that's right. For a play where everybody dies, I thought something, like, there was a lot of, there was, it felt like there was a lot of tying up of loose ends. Mm. But I think that's where we discuss over light refreshments after, because it's, I think there's a lot to unpack. It really makes you think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a thinker. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. <laughs> it's a thinker. But, um, yeah, what do you think, Sam? Did you, did you find the end uh, all right, or do you think it was also a bit anticlimactic? A bit anticlimactic, yeah. Like, after all of that, like, such a big build-up, and then it doesn't really go anywhere. Sorry, Shakespeare, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually get the guests every week to... To review it out of five. So, Sam, are you going to give it a... a no, I'll give it a... I'll give it a... I'll give it a... I'll give it a three and a half. All right. That's generous of you. Bump it up. That's generous. Yep. Which is also what the Croydon Gazette gave us at uh, Ringwood uh, Community Centre for our production. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Tough but fair. Um, I, I, I would say two and a half stars for the play. Just to be clear, that's for the play. That's not for your uh, synopsis of the play. Like, that's... The play itself. Uh, I assume that you have described it exactly as it occurs and done it full justice. Um, and, and if not better, then I'd say... That's right. They, they call me the, uh, the Shakespeare of podcasts. <laughs> Who are the famous King Lears? Like Ian McCallan. Sir Ian McCallan's done it a few times, hasn't he? And Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. Yes, that's right. So I think that both of them definitely have heard Ian McKellen has played the role. Maybe and they do it. They do it as a like a, a one man show, don't they? Really? Or have they done the the really a one man? I think King Lear. I think King Lear has been done as a a one man play by uh, Ian McKellen. So wait, so you have an actor playing a character who is 
playing multiple characters, including a character who is also playing multiple characters. Yes, I think so. Yeah, which is why you need a Sir Ian McKellen or Magda Savansky type. Oh, I, I agree. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the list now, Sam. There's, these are some of the people. We've got Michael Redgrave, uh, okay. Michael Gambon, Laurence mm-hmm. Olivier, twice, uh, Ian McKellen, Sir Anthony Hopkins. All these people have played. So it is a very coveted role. Mm. Jeffrey, didn't isn't this the one that uh, Jeffrey Rush? I believe Jeffrey Rush has played the role. Okay. And there, there were all of the accusations and so on. Like there was oh, the whole Shakespearean him... drama going on backstage as well as on stage. Oh, the one that got him into the papers for uh, reasons that, just in case, we won't go into. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, because re- reporting incorrectly what happened. <laughs> like ended up in court we really don't i feel like the herald sun's probably got better fact checkers than we do so maybe leave it alone <laughs> that's right so we can definitely say that jeffrey rush has been in the role but the rest of it has been redacted yes. that all happened off stage we don't know <laughs> that's right all i mean everything happens off stage in this play doesn't it the battles mm. the deaths everything um, I'm going to give it a score of a... Uh, I'm going to give it a four out of five, I believe. I've given some Shakespeare's four and a half or fives out of five before, but for, for, for this one, the, the story was there, but and, you know, the tragedy was there, and you've you got to respect it, but I'm not going to... It's definitely not my, the favourite one I've covered on this, so I've done the, uh, some very other famous ones, Macbeth's, Hamlet, Othello, Romeo and Juliet, uh, The Tempest, and I would say, yeah, it's not my favourite, do you, have you done 10 Things I Hate About You yet? Um, uh, definitely going to do that uh, yeah, soon. That's next week, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's going to come up. But yeah, do you have any other closing remarks ab- ab- about the play? Thou now I knowest more than I showest. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> well done. I like the way that you made the podcast come full circle. Ah, full cylinder. Yes, very good. (laughs) Well done to you. And I look forward uh, to seeing you both in the uh, Ringwood production of King Lear coming soon. Yes, this November, Ringwood Arts Centre. It will... 3.5 stars from the Croydon Gazette. So you need to be there. See it to believe it. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, but th- I mean that does bring us really to the end of uh, of the of the podcast this week. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute blast to have uh, some thespians here with me who have both uh, obviously appeared in the play <laughs> yourselves, <laughs> directed it. Been in the I don't understand past. it, but I've I've done it many times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just focus on that glass and keeping it nice and shiny from a big moment in the in the final act. <laughs> oh, and what a moment! What a moment! <laughs> Um, but if you want to hear or see more from you guys, Sam, you are doing a, a weekly, if not sometimes more than weekly podcast at the moment. Yeah, bi-weekly podcast, Confessions of the Idiots, where I read out different weird slash fucked online confessions <laughs> every single week to great guests for them to pick apart. So that's every week, Confessions of the Idiots. on all. It's on all the apps, apart from LinkedIn and Tinder, I believe. Oh, okay. But you're working to get it on there, I'm working. Yeah, I've contacted the head office, so I should be hearing back pretty soon. (laughs) 
But it's a great show. You have so many great guests. Um, I've been on it a few times myself. It's it's a pleasure to be on on the show. It's also a pleasure to listen to the show. So I well, highly thank you recommend so much. that. I've taken this audio and this will be an episode because uh, I need content. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus 90 minute episode. People are like, where are the, where are the confessions? Uh, Guys, it's a free podcast. Stop complaining. I just, I just release it a day before you. Yeah. Somehow you <laughs> hack in and get the files. <laughs> Um, and Nick, of course, uh, Tricky Nicky, the book is out in all good bookstores. Yes, it's online. It's everywhere. Tricky Nick, search for it, and you can you can see my my smiling face, hocking my wares. Congratulations! Maybe we should do a book cheat on this sometime. Yes, you should do it. I would love that. Would really make my day if you did it. <laughs> it's it's definitely. I mean, it's no. Um, you know, it's it's certainly not as good as Taming of the Shrew, but it's. Definitely better than King Lear. <laughs> All right, okay. So in the hierarchy of Shakespeare's, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely better than Lear. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was having a look on Goodreads at my, my other books I've written and all my books, because Goodreads is and all like internet rating things are stupid. Like my books are all better than like Tale of Two Cities and like better than Macbeth. Uh, and <laughs> like... Better oh, than awesome. um, you know persuasion. Just you know, better name a book, and it's my books are better than those books. <laughs> Mostly because all those famous books have been studied by angry high school students who've gone and given it one star because they got because <laughs> you know, they didn't understand the themes of uh, Huckleberry Finn. Um, but it still makes me happy to go and compare. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll bring you back in the future. Um, I don't know if it would be weird for me to do your book in front of you, but... Yeah. If you're up for would, it. That would be amazing if you did one of my books in front of me. and also, But also, like, <laughs> did what we just did there and just, just mocked it the whole way through. That would really make my day. <laughs> if you just sat and just, just, just <laughs> mocked like... the book and, and didn't even, like, criticise it, but just mocked it. Just made a mockery of it in front of me. <laughs> uh, that would be... Just... That, What was the author thinking at this point? I mean, come on. (laughs) And you still don't understand it in the end, Nick. You're really confused about some of the scenes. Yeah, I'm still. Yeah, if you could explain to me what it (laughs) what it means and what it's about. It's like (laughs) David Lynch when he like he what he rewatched Lost Highway like five years after he made it, and then he goes, "Oh, I get it. Yo, it's about the O.J. Simpson case. Yeah, that's what that movie's about." Well, I look forward to, to that episode in the future. Gentlemen, Sam Peterson, Nicholas J. Johnson, thank you so much for joining me on Book Cheat. And until next time, as I always say here, this has somehow become the catchphrase of the show, and that is Books Forever! Namaste. Bye. Thank you. Hey, book cheaters, book chooks in book nooks. Dave, you're at the end of the episode. First of all, don't turn off. I am aware that that is terrible. (laughs) Uh, I've got to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, Honestly, this is the episode that probably was never meant to be. And if you're hearing this, it's a miracle. It is a week later than I would have liked because the editing of this one nearly killed me. Because we have to record everything uh, over Zoom at the moment with everyone recording at their own end. (laughs) <laughs> one of the mics was out of sync with the other ones and uh yeah it was a it was a real effort to um put this one together so if you're listening to this either um a miracle has happened or i have died maybe they're playing this at my funeral the last thing i ever said
Oh, but in all honesty, thank you so much. It means a lot if you uh, heard this episode and enjoyed it. Please share it around. Because, um, yeah, maybe this is my ma- editing magnum opus. Uh, so thanks to Sam and Nick uh, for being on the show. Love those guys. Check out their great stuff. Nicholas J. Johnson's book is out now. And there's a link in the description of this episode if you want to get a copy of Tricky Nick. And Sam Peterson's fantastic podcast, Confessions of the Idiots, also linked in the description of the podcast if you want to get involved and listen to... He's got, a, I reckon, 150-plus episodes up. He's a, he's a machine, that guy. Never stops. Content maker. And it's always great. Also one of the funniest guys on Twitter. But anyway, love me some Sam Peterson. Um, I've got to tell you something else, and that is... Oh, that's right. The, the show, Book Cheat, that you listen to is supported by people on Patreon. Which, if you're not familiar, basically we started uh, a podcast called Do Go On about five years ago, and uh, Book Cheat is a spin-off of, of that. And if you want to support Book Cheat, but also Do Go On and our other spin-off shows, Primates, Phrasing the Bar, listen now. Go to patreon.com slash dogoonpod, where you get three bonus episodes a month. Stuff like, we put out a bonus Do Go On, we do a quiz, we put out our Phrasing the Bar show about Brendan Fraser films. It's a lot of fun. And I also like to thank people that support the show on BookCheat by reading out their name and their favourite book. So I've got some uh, fantastic names standing by, and I'd like to give a big shout out and thank you to these people and their favourite books. It's their time to shine. First of all, hot off the press here, it's John Coutelier. John Coutelier. Thanks for your support, John. John's told me my favourite book right now is Jap Heron. Now, the novel itself is terrible. <laughs> okay, great start here. What's interesting about it is that it was written by Mark Twain. Okay. After he died. John's written here. A spiritualist and medium claimed to have been in communication with his spirit when she wrote it, and after its publication, was sued by Twain's family and copyright holders, leading to some hyperbole in the press that the case might end up in the Supreme Court, who would have to rule on immortality. Sadly, it was settled out of court, so he never got that ruling. Wow, that's crazy. I wonder if it's any good. Maybe it is. And maybe it is Mark Twain from Beyond the Grave. That's a great fact. Uh, and also a great favourite book. So thanks to John for sending that in. Uh, Victor Everett. Hello. Hello to you, Victor. And thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, Victor's written, My favourite book has to be The Picture of Dorian Gray. You can imagine the delight when I saw it to be the first book you did. Because it was way back when. Nearly, nearly two years this show's been going for now. And... Uh, Nick Mason and Mr. Sunday Movies were the two guests on that one. Uh, Victor continues, I will reread the first chapter every now and then for a pick-me-up, just because the conversation between Basil and Lord Henry demonstrates such smooth eloquence. But I have to mention too the entire Aubrey slash Maturin series, Maturin series by Patrick O'Brien, as they're so detailed and amusing, and very handy if you fancy a spot of early 19th century naturalism Naval Warfare, or Espionage. What about all three? I guess you got it covered. Nice one. Thanks, Victor. Great tip there as well. It's always nice when um, I have actually covered the the uh, favourite book that people are writing in about. It's rare, but it's awesome when I've done it. Uh, Ray Bradley says, Hello, Dave. I was a big fantasy reader as a kid, and my favourite books were probably those of the Red Ball series by Brian Sharks. You and me too, Ray. Loved them. Uh, a sprawling series of books about battle-tested ferrets, squirrels, and hares. Good stuff. 10 out of 10, also great cover art. P.S. Keep going with the beard. We support you. 
Thanks, Ray. I need every now and then. I need to pick me up with a beard. Stuck it out. People told me very so. I've, I've had a beard. I say that beard, facial hair now for um over twelve months, and people told me oh, it'll fill out. It'll fill out, and I feel like I've peaked. So I think it's going to fill out anymore, but I still like it. You know, I'm sticking with it for now. And honestly, I was going to shave it until Ray said stick with it. So Ray, thank you so much. It means a lot. And so does your support as well, by the way. Uh, I'd like to thank now Spencer Eshman. Spencer Eshman. Who says, Hey, I'm a big fan of prose writing, so my favourite book is one from the early 1900s called John Carter of Mars. It's a sweeping tale of how an Earthman who becomes super-powered on the smaller planet adjusts the dynamics of a world totally unlike his own. At one point, the book describes a crystal possessing a colour unknown to anyone on Earth, the description of which blew my mind, and although written before man has ever sent anything into space, the book talks about how the Martian civilization used reflecting satellites to make video phone calls around the planet. Wow. It's definitely worth a read for people who like sci-fi, and George Lucas claimed the character of Princess Leia was based on the female lead of the book. There you go. John Carter of Mars. I have not heard of it, I must say. But it sounds very interesting. Thank you to Spencer Eshman. Appreciate that. Next up, I've got a note from Benjamin Bush. Hi, Benjamin, and thank you so much. He's written, Hey, Dave. One of my favorite books of all time growing up was The Phantom Tollbooth. It was one of the first books I remember reading that led me to see the world in a different light. Between its skillful use of wordplay or the way it proposes ridiculous ideas in order to show a young child a new way of thinking, if you ever decide to do a bonus slash mini episode of young or children adult novels, this should be on your list. Books forever! Comics sometimes. <laughs> Benjamin's written. Thank you very much, Benjamin. There you go, the Phantom Tollbooth. I've definitely heard of that, but I don't know anything about it. My childhood was not blessed enough to get the Phantom Tollbooth in it, but it sounds cool. 1961 was written. Looking it up. There you go. Thank you so much. Books forever coming sometimes. I enjoy that. That's a good sign-off. Uh, and finally, I have a message here from Roger Quick. On your Rog. Appreciate your support, mate. Who's written, Hey Dave, I'm a huge fan of Stephen King. My favourite of his novels are Pet Cemetery and The Shining, also known as The Shining, if you want to avoid copyright reasons. Uh, Simpsons reference there. I know it's not really old enough to be considered a classic, but I think that The Shining would make an excellent episode for Book Cheat. It deals with isolation and cabin fever, which is super relevant to everyone right now due to lockdowns and social distancing. Also, I think The Life of Stephen King would make a good episode of Do Go On. Thanks for reading. Thank you, Roger. I reckon Stephen King would be a good Do Go On. He's one of those authors that you don't really realise how many movies are based on his books. You've mentioned there The Shining, Pet Cemetery. I mean, I've just gone blank. I just I thought of heaps. Oh, Stand By Me, The Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption. I think there's, there's just heaps, isn't there? There's just a few to get the list going. People are yelling at the podcast now. I know there's lots. I've just gone blank. I'm sorry. Long story short, I think that would be cool. I'm not going to say no. Definitely. But I will say thank you to Roger Quick, uh, Benjamin, Spencer, Ray, Victor, and John for supporting the show in its darkest hour. 
the Week From Hell editing, the King Lear episode, but we got there. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did, like I said, you can uh, share it around or go back and listen to the other episodes that we've got. We've got Shakespeare coming out our ears at the moment. These days we've got Hamlet, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, The Tempest, Twelfth Night. Have I missed any others? Now we've done King Lear. Othello, that was the first one we did. Yeah. Let me know which Shakespeare you'd like me to cover next. I think eventually, I'd like to do one every few months and eventually do them all. I think that would be really cool. Maybe there's a more obscure one I could cover next. Let me know, because you can get in contact, I should say, with me at BookCheatPod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And you can email me bookcheatpod at gmail.com as well as suggest a book at any time by clicking the link in the description of this episode. And uh, I'll give you a shout out. Oh my goodness, which reminds me. I have totally forgotten to shout out to a bunch of great people that suggested I do King Lear. I had the list ready to go and it totally slipped my mind at the start of the uh, recording. So just to come through with what I said there, I do thank people that suggest the books. And here are the people that suggested King Lear. Big thank you to Sam Lewis from New Zealand, Jordan Hayden from Tempe, Arizona, Francis Wallen from Limerick, Ireland, Pip from Adelaide, Australia, Finn from Hammersley from the Gold Coast, also Australia, Sam Markelin, Melbourne, Australia, and Ellen Darcy from Dublin. I didn't write it down, but I assume Ireland. So thank you to those legends. Really appreciate that. If you want to be like that, and I usually list your names earlier, I apologize if I forgot, but if you want to do that, you can suggest a book by clicking the link in the description of the episode. But that is that. That is it for the episode. Thank you so much. I'll be back in another couple of weeks with a brand new spanking episode. But until then, I'll say thank you and books forever. Comics sometimes. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.